Welcome to North Bay Christ the King. You're listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11 o'clock at our campus location in Birch Bay, Washington. Thank you for tuning in. We have been doing a series to start actually just week two. This is Ephesians. And we're taking some time and going through the book of Ephesians. And I want to give a little bit of like a, a recap as well as an overlying understanding of even the Bible, because in the book of the Bible that we have, there's various books, but many of these books are actually, in the, especially in the New Testament, are letters. Ephesians is a letter that Paul, the apostle, his early church planner, wrote to this group of people in the city called Ephesus. And Paul wrote these letters to try and encourage the church to help them through times of intense persecution. Listen, if you had a bad week and you feel like people are coming against you, nothing compared to what was going on in the first century where people are being you know, ridiculed, they're being persecuted and thrown into prison, even killed for their faith. And so Paul's writing this letter to that type of group of people saying, listen, you little church here, you're going to make it. You're going to be okay. Don't let anything chain you down or hold you back. Don't let anybody mock you. You, you have something so amazing. So, so amazing. In chapter one, we looked last week how God chose us. From the very beginning of time, God chose us. Not just, not just yesterday, but way before time even began, even before we were born, chose us not to be slaves and just kind of exist into this world, but called us to be sons and daughters. Chose you. You are the top of the, the pick. You're a number one pick. You're thinking, how can everybody be number one pick? Everybody is number one pick. And God chose you and chose you into something so amazing. And that is salvation. Salvation. That's what we're going to look at today. What salvation is. Now, if, 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 if you're here and we won't have people raise their hands because different people are in different journeys in their faith, but some of you would say, hey, are you saved? You would, you would say, yes, I'm saved. And if I ask you the question next, how do you know you're saved? Well, I just know. Well, how do you really know you're saved? If someone came along and said, what does it mean to be saved? Or how does someone become saved? What would you say? Being saved or saying you're saved, it's, it's an overused word, isn't it, that we say, but do we really truly understand it? And Paul lays it out for us to understand how we know. So here's the question. What does salvation mean? How can we be saved? So if I ask you that today, and some of you are like, don't ask me now. Like, I don't want to give a panic over you. I want to help you and myself learn really, some, really the DNA of what salvation is all about. Because think about this. Think about this. What's most, most important in this world? Is there anything more important in this world to know and to understand how to be saved? There isn't, is there? And, and Paul lays this out in chapter 2. In fact, I would say in chapter 2, if you only had one chapter of the Bible, it would be chapter two, 2 of Ephesians. Honestly, one book because it lays it all out, what it's about. Not how just to be saved, but just as important as why. Why? Have you ever asked that question? Why am I saved? Now, 
Speaking of why, I want to share a story that I believe it relates to what we're talking about. I'd, I heard a long, you know, several years ago, uh, have you ever seen like the Darwin Awards? You ever seen that on the internet? Um, this is one of those Darwin Awards. Um, and and, and this, I, the story I heard this last week recently, I thought it was, I think, I think it applies to what we'll be talking about. Back in 1982, Larry Walters of LA had joined the Air Force, but the problem was he, he wanted to fly as a fighter pilot, but he, he didn't have good enough eyesight, so he wasn't able to do that. So he still wanted to learn to fly. He still dreamed of flying. So one day, he's in his backyard and decided to, uh, had, had thought he had a brilliant idea. And, and so he's drinking beer in his lawn chair in his backyard. I thought, I've got great ideas. And apparently some people think they have great ideas when they're drinking beer in their backyard. And so, he, you know, and you've heard of people like, you know, they want to get high. Um, Larry literally wanted to get high here, okay? He, he, he had, like, decided to go to the Army surplus floor and, and, and get 45 uh, weather balloons and strapped them to his lawn chair and, and filled them up, strapped them, tethered them there. And, and with that, though, his goal was to get up in the air, kind of float around and come back down. And so what he armed himself with was some sandwiches, a pellet gun, that was to shoot the balloons down when he needed to come down, and Miller Lite. Okay, that was what he had taken up for an afternoon. So he figured he'd get up there and, and, you know, shoot a few balloons, you know, and it's like, isn't this the movie Up? Okay, I don't know if they is inspired by this. But you can picture that. He's up there and then, and then, you know, shoot a few down and then he'd just send back down. No big deal. He thought he'd get maybe 30 feet off the ground and then come back. Well, you know what happened? It wasn't 100 feet. It wasn't 1,000 feet. He got up to 16,000 feet in the air, Okay. Within his inebriated state, he did realize that it would be really dumb of him to shoot all the balloons and drift off somewhere and you know, kill himself. He didn't want to do that. So he was stuck up there. And, and so he drifted along way high up in the air. And, and so what do you do when you're stuck up in the air? Well, you eat your sandwiches and you drink your Miller Lite. And he did that for 14 hours up in the air. He got into the flight pattern at LAX airport and airline pilots are like, we have this, like, how to describe it? There's a guy in a lawn chair floating, you know, with these balloons. And so Larry decided out of, you know, finally just took his pellet gun and started shooting some of the balloons down. He, he, he descended down, got caught in a power line, and that's where the LAPD found him and brought him down, arrested him. But before they arrested him, a reporter asked him this question. And, and Larry re- replied kind of nonchalantly this. He says, you know, they asked him, why, why did you do this? And he goes, a man can't just sit around. <laughs> Is that a good, good reason? Yeah, can I tell you that that's really true. Larry's not a theologian. That's really, really true. Man can't just sit around. God created us and called us to do so much more. There's an inner urge in all of us to do something with our lives. When you were little, someone asked you in a kindergarten class or preschool or a little bit older, hey, what do you want to do in life? Right? So what do you want to do? What do you want to be when you grow up? You know, What'd you say? Maybe you said, I want to be a doctor. I want to be president. I want to be a, I want to be a, a lawyer. I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a fighter pilot like Larry. I want to do something great. I want to be a mom. I want to be a dad, whatever it might be. No one said, no one goes, you know what? You know what I want to do when I grow up? I want to be an unemployed video gamer living in my, in my mom and dad's basement and collecting welfare. 
Nobody wanted to do that, right? No one said that. And yet, within us, there's this desire for adventure, importance, and meaningfulness. But due to disappointment and setbacks and mistakes, and let's just say failure, we settle for so much less, and we become unfulfilled. And so what we look to and what we reach to is we reach for a click of a remote. And if that's not good enough, we find things a more extreme, maybe, maybe not flying lawn chairs with air balloons, but something even more riskier in life. And you know it leads to recklessness and addiction and moral compromise that ends up destroying our lives and those around us. Listen, here's the deal. We will never get high enough we will never get far enough. We'll never experience the fullest potential of what is in store for our lives on our own because we're never meant to do it on our own. And that's why chapter 2 of Ephesians, Paul lays out what salvation is about. And a bigger question we get answered in this today is why? Why? So let's follow along. You can look on the screen. My translation is just slightly different that you're going to see today. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among those at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and its thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. And it's by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order in the coming age he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship or handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. That is salvation. We're going to take a moment and unpack this. So you and I can know, we can have it be a little more educated. We can be a little more understanding of how great the salvation that Jesus gave us. Some of us know that know that we're saved, but do you really understand not only what salvation is, but, but why? And as we do, and as we try to understand, know this, that salvation is filled with incredible purpose because it's not just to be saved. It's not the end point. It's the beginning point. This morning as we read this, unpack this section of Scripture, I want us to know this thought. We are not saved to sit, but to be sent. We are not saved to sit, but to be sent. Larry was not a theologian, but he did get it right. That we, that was not what we're meant to do. There's, we're meant for more in this life. And that has everything to do with the salvation that, 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 that God provided for us, that Paul gives value to. So I want to talk about six aspects of salvation. You can follow on your notes to keep up. 
My hope is that as you take time in understanding the meaning, that there is a deeper work that God will do in your heart and the value of it, but even more than that, that you will be able to explain the plan of salvation to other people. And as we do, there's, it's kind of interesting, I was just looking at this passage this week that we, we're going to get into, is it, it seems like under it all, Paul dispels a couple myths about how we view the world and really probably how we view evil in the world and how bad stuff happens in the world. There's two myths out there that people kind of hang on to, Christians and even and, and non-Christians do. And the first, the first myth that Paul dispels is this, is that, uh, that the main problem, you know what the main problem in, is in this world, if you want to know? It's other people. That's really what a lot of people believe. It's other people's problem. The blame is at an all-time high, right? And the political side of things, just turn the news on. The, the person who cut you off in traffic, your ex-spouse, your ex-boss, your ex-friend, your ex-church, right? There's a lot of people to blame. So there's, there's, a, there's a myth that, that Paul dispels in the first verse that we're going to look at here. And the other one that he, dis, he debunks and dispels is this, that deep down, there's goodness in everyone. It's just that we all get a little bit confused and weak and misdirected. Hmm. Some believe this even after senseless shootings and terrorist attacks. See, Paul blows both myths out of the water with this first verse. He says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins. As for you, what is he saying? Hey, you are the problem. Like, what did I do? You are the one. It's ownership of that fact that you are a part of this. It's not someone else's fault and, and, and someone else's deal. No, it's what you did. Well, you kind of go, I'm a pretty good person. I kind of make, 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 make mistakes once in a while. And Paul says here, you, you are dead in your transgressions. Transgressions mean doing wrong things and stealing and cheating and lying. And, and because of sin, sin is this missing the mark and missing the standard. So we, we look at that, well, we all kind of make mistakes, and, you know, I make mistakes, and then, you know, I sin. You need to you understand this about sin is this. You, you, you and I, we are not, we're not sinners because we sin. We're not. We are sinners because we, we sin because we're sinners. Let me say that again. We're, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. Sin is not an action but a condition of the heart. It's an incurable disease that's born in every heart of every person. That was that came into this earth. You know, trying to be bad and trying not to be bad never really works because what's worse than being bad, do you know what it is, girls? It's being dead. It's being dead. That's worse. <laughs> You're like, wow, this is encouraging hearing this. Paul says this, we, you were, and he says this in past tense, we were dead in which you used to live when you're following the ways of this world, of the rules of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us also living among them at one time, gratifying the, the cravings of our, our flesh, following his desires and his thoughts like the rest were by nature's deserving wrath. Paul's is saying this, listen, he describes the, the, your survival of that back in that day, there was survival of the fittest, doggy dog world, a very competitive world that was back there. It's no different today. In fact, it's worse, isn't it? Sin as a disease, if left unkept, it becomes, it becomes even worse and worse, and it grows and it destroys. And Paul's really saying, you are the center of the problem. 
You ever look at the word sin? What's, what's in the middle? I. We all have, maybe you heard this before, we all, we all have I problems. I want to be in control. I want my needs to be met. I want what's best for me. I want to be and do what's most important for myself. Don't I have a right to be happy? Right? We, we easily make it about ourselves. And, and he's laying it out. You once were this way. You once were going down this road. And, and what the, at the end of the journey is the fact it's, it's where it ends up being the object of God's wrath. We deserve hell. Now, some of you are like, man, I'm just not really feeling encouraged by this message yet. This has got to get better, okay? It does. Because I want to talk about the first aspect of salvation. It's this, saved from sin. Again, Paul speaks to these early believers. Once you were this way, once you're going down the highway to hell on a rapid rate, you had an eye problem, you had an eye disease, and, and whether at the end of the day, you know what it took you, it took you to a place where you got hung up on the electrical wires or you were drowning in the sea and you needed help. You needed to be rescued. Now, some of you here today, and let's be honest, there's some people in this room, you might be seeing yourself going, wow, I'm, I'm kind of heading down the road of what I want to do and what way I want to do it. And, and, and you see yourself like, yeah, I just, that's kind of my road. And I want you to give you, if you're heading down the road of sin and you know it, here's your warning. Here's the warning. is this, sin will take you farther than you ever thought you would go, and it will cause more pain than you ever, ever thought you would experience. If you don't believe me, ask the people around you. We know. We can tell you. We once were that way. But we don't have to sit in despair. We don't, there's a greater story, and what it, this is a beautiful word that Paul uses in all that, and all we are object of God's wrath. He says, one word, and it's verse 4. Can you read this word with me? Look, look what it says. This, what's the first word? But. Can you say it really loud? But. Okay? That is the best but in Scripture right there. Stick with me. But. Because. There's a reason. Because of his great love for us, God who is rich and Mercy. See, the second aspect of salvation is this. It's saved out of love. Do you see where we're going with this? Do you see how this is important to understand salvation? This seems super, super basic, but are you going to be able to explain this to someone this week when they ask how to be saved? We're saved from sin, but when they're saved, how? Out of love. The motivation all is love. It's all about, it's all about love. Why? Why would a perfect holy God care anything about us? It's all love. One word, love. God is motivated by it, and he had a scheme, a love plan to rescue us in a, in, from a world that we never could be rescued from. There's no way to get out of what we needed to get out of as much as we try on our own. Several years ago, my wife and I, we were youth pastors in Idaho, and I remember it was a Sunday morning kind of like this. I was preaching, and our pastor was in Brazil, and uh, it's always a bummer when your pastor's in, you know, you know, out of town and the church catches on fire. Uh, so on my watch, okay? So I'm at the end of a service like this and someone runs up the stairs and says, the church is on fire. Well, all our, the basement's on fire. All our kids are downstairs. So we evacuate the building and everything. Come to find out there was a kid, a boy in our youth group named Chase. 
And Chase had apparently been the one that set this fire. Apparently, he had set a lot of fires before. We didn't know this about him. He was a foster kid from this, this family that attended our church. And so I thought it would be really brilliant. You know, great, he's a pyromaniac. Let's just go ahead and take him to summer camp in the woods. <laughs> so we're having a service together, worship time in one evening. And the camp director comes up to me and he goes, somebody took a whole gallon of maple syrup and spilled it and just put it all over the kitchen. And he goes, I've got the footprint to show. It was a sandal print. And the person had stepped in it. You know, not real smart, right? Left their tracks. We're going to figure it out. So kids are up, jumping up and down in worship. And we're looking. We're trying to catch which sandal it was. And it was Chase. Of course it was Chase. So we bring him in, we bring him in the kitchen and say, Chase, is this, does this look familiar? Didn't say a word. Said, uh, you know, we, we have a footprint that matches your sandal. What do you say of that? Hey, listen, Chase, we know you did this. You're going to need to clean it up. This is the camp director. And your pastor is going to watch you clean it up. I'm like, oh. the kid moved slower than that syrup, okay, <laughs> cleaning that up. But in the midst of it, I felt like God prompted me for Chase. Tell this 15-year-old kid, listen, I'm going to clean it up for you, but I'm going to want you to hear the fact that God came to clean your mess up. As I clean your mess up here that you did, Jesus did that for you. And I shared in Romans that God demonstrated his own love for us. While we are still sinners, and the stickiness of sin, the mess that we've made, he came and demonstrated his own love for us. He died for us. His love compels us. And I was able to share the gospel as I'm cleaning the syrup up, getting to the place. Now, whatever happened to this kid, I don't know. He could be incarcerated or he could be a pastor. We have no idea where Chase ended up being. But we need to have these moments to realize, God, whatever, and listen, whatever stickiness and mess you're in, you can't clean up your own mess. Only Jesus can do that. He's the one to save us and to rescue us. Another aspect, being not only saved from sin, but we're saved into life. Verse 5, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. I'm a sucker for those shows where they rescue, they rescue people. You know, someone, someone's laying out, they're unconscious, and they call 911, and they come in with the paramedics, and, you know, and they take a pulse, and they see if, there's, if the person's alive. Well, they're not breathing, there's no heartbeat, and so what do they do? They get out the paddles, and they rub them together, right? And someone says, charge, and they go, clear, right? Body comes, you know, nothing. Okay, no heartbeat, let's try it again. Charge, clear, you know, and the person comes back to life typically in those shows, and you're like, oh, that's great, heroes in the, in the making. I mean, can I tell you this? And we spent some time around the communion table today, and we spent some time reflecting what Jesus did for us, that he not only died, but on the third day, some angel took heaven's defibrillators, came down, squeezed through the, the tomb door, dark, dank place. The dead rabbi, teacher, prophet. Charge. Clear. Jesus came back to life. Fulfilling that he is the resurrection and the life. 
And Paul describes it for us in Romans. All that Jesus did and what he accomplished was this. If the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Christ came not just to give, you know, to to bring us to eternal life, but to give us life here. The resurrected supernatural power in our lives. And it's a life to live for us, not just to be saved to sit, but a greater work that he accomplished. His very power, his supernatural power to work through us. Now, I think we all love vacation. Some of us dream at times or gone in places to a, a tropical vacation where you, you, you know, you're on the beach and you're, there's palm trees and there's, there's the waves crashing. And it's just so beautiful. And, and you, you wave the person over, hey, can I have one of those strawberry daiquiris? And so you got that with all the fruit and the straw and everything. You're sitting there and kicking back and you say, whoever you're with, you go, you say these words, you go, wow, this is the life. Right? Maybe you saw you've done that before. You're like, man, this is great. Can I encourage us? And all that is wonderful to do, have a vacation. That is not the life. That is not the life that, that Christ has called us to live out. Sounds really good. See, we're not saved to sit. We're not saved to be bumps on the log. Okay? We are saved for this purpose to be fully alive. And what does it mean to be fully alive, to be made alive in Christ? What it is, is being active on who we are. It's opportunity where we come together and we, we sense, and I hope you did today, the sense of God's presence in, in, our, in our life through worship. It's spending some time clearly in God's word and showing us and directing us, going, wow, this is the life. It's these God moments we have that God uses our life to help others. It's times where we took a risk and we, we reached out to someone and there was like miracles that took place and, and God came through and we're going, man, that had to be God. That's so amazing. That's the life. That's the life that's not to be seated, but to be one that is sent. True resurrected life is called to this greater life, and we have a role to play. And what's so powerful that, that Paul lays out is that we, have, we actually have some position with it. In fact, saved, he would say we're saved for a seat. Now, you just told us, like, not to sit, but to be well, he actually gives us something kind of powerful here. He says, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him on the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages, he might show his incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. What Paul's saying here, there's a seat reserved when we're saved. There's a seat one day that we'll have in heaven. It will be our names on it. We are we are. It's taken care of. We've got that position in the heavenly realms. So seated one day, but not just this day, not just this day, but one day. In the process, we are called from a greater work that God's called us to do. And really, Paul's saying here is that you have all the resources and all, all the authority. You have all of heaven at your disposal of what God wants to accomplish in and through you. But we got to be careful in all that we get in, as followers of Christ is this. We can't s- sit on our high horse and go, look what I all got. And all, none of it you did on your own. <laughs> none of it has anything to do with you in the first place except that you can receive it. 
And that leads to this aspect of salvation. We're saved through grace by faith alone. We're saved by grace through faith alone. I, I talked earlier about the Ephesians 2. If you only had one book of the Bible to have, that would be the book. Can I tell you the two verses? If you only had two verses in the Bible to have, it would be these verses. Verses 8 and 9. Can you read this with me? Can, you all, can we read this out loud? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. You can't be proud of anything. You didn't accomplish anything. Jesus did it all. Jesus did it all. And what we find in this one, these couple verses is this. It's the cause and the means and results of salvation. The cause of salvation is grace. Grace, this undeserved favor that we get. God instigated it all through Christ. There's not one ounce that we can claim of any of, our, of what we've done, any goodness or anything that we have earned, none. And yet, we have a role. We have a role that's it's choice. See, the means of salvation is faith. It's for by grace you have been saved through faith. Now, what does that mean? I heard it recently it was this, that faith is the hand that takes hold of the source of salvation. Faith is the hand to reach out and take the source of salvation. All that Jesus did, all that he accomplished on the cross and rose from the dead, he did everything for us. He cleaned up the, the, the syrupy mess that we should have cleaned up. As I shared with my, my buddy Chase, Jesus did it all for him, cleaned up everything about it. But there's still a choice that we have. Listen, you, you, the, 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 the catch of, of being rescued from everything and, and someone helping you is that you, want to, you, you, you need a desire to be helped. You can't be rescued unless you want to be rescued. Now, it sounds easy, right, that someone would, why would you not be rescued? There's a lot of people in this world that don't want to be rescued from their sin. They don't want to be rescued from the, 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 the destruction that's heading their way. It could be doubt. It could be a lot of things, but it really comes down to this is trust. Can I trust my entire life? Trust me is putting my full weight, my whole life into the hands of Jesus. Will he be strong enough? Will he be good enough? Will he be enough? Jesus is telling you, there's a trust involved. Do you trust me and all that I've accomplished for you? And I tell you, when a person reaches out and grabs that hand of salvation, that is the point. That is the point a person is saved. I'm going to give you an opportunity in a moment for you, to, if you have not reached out your hand in faith. But the results of salvation is this. The effects of salvation are good works. The last aspect of this, we're saved to do good works. Verse 10, it says, our last verse, we were God's masterpiece. We're God's workmanship, handiwork. It, it's more than kind of just a side project God had of us. He says we're his master. We're his, in fact, that word in the Greek here is, means poem. We're actually God's poem. We're God's creation. What he worked and, and, and put so much effort to bring us to where we're at and created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We weren't created like as an art piece to sit on a shelf or sitting in a row or, or just not be used by God. God's saying, I want to use your life. I, I created you far beyond. In fact, he prepared us in advance. So when we became a Christian, we became a follower of Christ, God's not going, oh, shoot. Hmm. What should I have you do? I gotta come up with some jobs. What are some things that'd be good for you? Hmm, let me think, let me think. No, no, no. He had it planned long before you're in board in advance. He said, Good, finally, 
finally, you're going to follow me. Finally, I got work for you to do and what you're going to accomplish. You're not called just to sit in a row in an audience. I'm calling you something greater. You are one that I'm sending out to do that work. And now, what, what is it? What is that work? How do you know? What is God's plan? You may ask a question. What is God's plan? What's God's will for my life? Well, I got your plans right here. It's right here. I have people, years ago, people come like, can you just pray for me, God? I just need to sense God's will for my life. Well, have you read this lately? No, I haven't really. Like, why don't you go read this and let's go talk? Because I can't give you that. God gave it to you. He can show you, and as you study it, and you're reading, and you pray, and you get with other uh, people that are believers, and you're like, what is this about? And God directs us and, and finds us to the way. This is the plan. This is the plan that we have. What's in this plan? Well, it's to care for the sick, to feed the hungry, to love our neighbors, to share hope, to give generously, to sacrifice our needs of others, for our own needs, for the needs of others. It's sharing the good news of salvation, the people that really need it, that one day they can have their reservation in heaven. We are saved not to sit, but we are sent. We're going to share a little bit on this on Tuesday evening, a little tickler for Tuesday evening. It's this, success. I want to declare for us at North Bay Christ the King, success is not our seating capacity, it's our sending capacity. There's a few chairs left here, but it's not about how many chairs we get in here, how many people we get in here, it's how many people are sent out there. We are called people to be sent out into this community, into this world. And you know, Larry the lawn chair had it half right. He goes, we're not, we're not meant to just sit around. Man, man is not meant to sit around. But Larry didn't get the full purpose of his life at all. In fact, 10 years later, after the balloon fiasco, he went up into the woods one day and shot himself. It's tragic, isn't it? Larry never found his purpose. Let's not be a Larry. Let's not be a Larry. As our team comes, I have a question for us as we pray. I think it's a pretty practical question today. And I want to give an opportunity for you to respond to the Lord here today, what God's stirring you. As they come forward, the question here is, asking yourself this, where I am seated right now, God, where are you sending me this week? Where I'm sitting right now. There's no better time than the moment to ask this question. Where is he sending you to? I had a great conversation with Shane yesterday. He's, he's one of our, you know, done a little bit of a, a leave. He's doing YWAM and, and the beautiful Suffering for Jesus in Hawaii. And he's getting wonderful training, great, great prayer time, wonderful time with him. He goes, but the other day I, I got my calling. And that is, they do this outreach phase to go to, to another part of the world after they get trained. So the last couple months of his his discipleship training school is going to be in uh, Uganda. So that's where Shane's going to, if you haven't heard, watch this video. So it's pretty exciting uh, for him. But I don't know if God's calling Uganda. He might be, but probably not next week. Maybe next year, who knows? But that's not, it's not the destination. It's, it's, it's where your heart's at and your condition of where you're at right now. And do you have the mentality that when you leave this place, that you're sent by God back into your community where you live, back into your neighborhood, back into your workplace, back into your school, back into the friendship group that you have and the relatives. I know you didn't pick them, but they're, they're there. You know, you, you have people God's called you to. What is it? Where is he sending you? What if, what if, North Bay Christ the King, that we stop trying to just gather 
Nothing wrong with gathering as an audience. What if we move from not, not just being an audience to being an army? What would that look like? What would happen? I tell you, you're going to hear some stories on Tuesday night. We're gonna, we wouldn't be able to, we'd go hours and hours of those stories of what God is doing. That is the calling. We are not saved to sit. That is just the beginning point of salvation. The, 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 that's not the end. The end is the fact that we are sent out. And one day, one day we will sit. One day in the heavenly realms, we will sit. But it's not time now. It's not time now. In fact, I think we're tired of sitting. We need to stand up. Can we stand up? And as, as you do, if you just take a moment and attitude of prayer right now, because I want to pray for us. And I want to pray for you and pray with you today. If you could keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. We had a great response from people last service. But how wrong would it be if I didn't give an opportunity? And here we talk about salvation. Never even extended the opportunity for people to be saved today. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're here today and you are hearing and understanding, all we talked about was Jesus saving us today. What he did on the cross, we spent time in the communion. It all demonstrated you. It, he did it all. There's nothing you could do. Grace given to you. He's reaching out right now saying, I want you. Will you grab my hand? Faith is that hand reaching out to the grace that Jesus offers you. He paid the price for you to receive. If you're here today, you would say, I am not saved. You just lift your hand up. I want to pray for you today. Is anybody here? I'm not saved. I don't know Jesus today. If you're here and, and you're struggling through, like, how do I know? How do I? When we want to pray for you as well. Because once you receive, once you grab hold of his hand, I tell you, Jesus will, he promised you never let go. He's always there, always there to help. I want to pray a commissioning prayer on all of us today. In fact, it's something we should pray every week as we go from this place. Let's pray. God, thank you. Out of your great love for us, you gave us Jesus. He came, died, rose again. Forgive us our sins so we can have relationship with you. You did it all, Lord. And now it's our turn to reach out to you today. I pray for those that we're struggling through that, God, that your salvation is only an arm's reach away and only a prayer away, what you provided. But I have a feeling there's many in this room say, hey, I'm saved, but I don't know where I'm to be sent. God, will you speak to our hearts right now as we go from this place? Lord, you give us clarity and your direction and your word. Will you show us where to go across the street, maybe around the world? We don't, God, we want to be open and available. May we be people sent by you and all, God, that you accomplished. And one day, Lord, we'll get to sit. We'll sit at your heavenly throne, and it'll be pretty amazing, but there's a lot of work to do. You created us. You saved us for those good works, Lord. May we live that out. Not in our own strength, not in our own power, but your very spirit that caused you to be risen from the dead now is in us. Be sent out by your spirit. God, go with us, lead us, direct us, we pray.